All right, we're looking at chapter 16 of Deuteronomy, but uh, we're looking at the feasts of the Lord. They're called the feasts of the Lord, actually, not the feasts of Israel, the feasts of the Lord. And let's just quickly look at the ones we've already seen. We've seen Passover. We looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We looked at the Feast of First Fruits, the first spring crops, the first spring crops, the first fruits they would uh, should uh, follow or should occur each year on the day that follows Passover. This is always on a Sunday, the scriptures tell us. It pictures the resurrection of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Uh, look at the John chapter 12, verse 23. John 12, 23. This could be uh, some of the verses that would show this, 12, 23, and 24. Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. By the way, the Son of Man means the Son who relates to mankind. The Son related to mankind. That comes from the book of Daniel. He's called the Son who relates to humanity. The Son who relates to mankind. He's called the Son of God. The Son who relates to God the Father. Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. That little grain of, uh, of, of, of uh, wheat or whatever uh, dies. Why? I don't think we can figure that out. It actually dies. You, you pick up a little, little grain of wheat, it's dead. And sometimes uh, hundreds of years later, it can be planted and, and blossom and bloom. How's that work? I don't know. Well, how's the resurrection work? That's a miracle from God, just like the, the little grain of wheat. It's a miracle. It's dead. But it'll come back to life and bear fruit. And, and the resurrection of Christ and then our resurrection is a miracle. It dies. Uh, it, it, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, and almost it's saying it must die, then it bears much fruit. And Christ is the first one from the, from the dead. That is, He leads the way for, uh, for our resurrection. The fact that you and I will die unless the rapture comes first. And then we will be resurrected. We will have new life. Um, the Feast of Weeks. We're coming into the Feast of Weeks. Look at chapter 16. In verses 9 through 12, what, is, what does the Feast of Weeks mean? Actually, we should be calling this the Feast of the Sevens. The word week is implying seven, the concept of seven. And uh, it's seven, 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 seven weeks, or 49 days. 49 days. This leads to Pentecost, or this is a Pentecost starts at this, and notice it ends in June. Um, look at. Uh, well, we'll look at the verse 9 here in just, just a moment. The rabbis say this, that the Feast of Weeks, the seven times seven, if you will, concludes the days of Passover. It's also called the Festival of Harvest. It's also called the Free Will Offering. Why is it called a Free Will Offering? Because it does not prescribe what kind of 
offering you are to bring. It is free will. Whatever you can, whatever you wish to bring, to be thankful to God for the harvest. A free will offering. It's whatever you, you can do, whatever you wish to do. The free will offering. It is called a proportionate offering. As a man can give. That ties into the idea of the free will. The free will offering. It also describes a day of rejoicing. Uh, with slavery, there was no harvest of blessing. But now the Jews were set free. They were set free from, from Egypt. And they were to remember God's blessing. The festival of harvest. The free will offering. Whatever they can give. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 16. It started verse 9. Uh, verse, uh, 9. 16, 9. We read this. You shall count seven sevens, or seven weeks, for yourself. Seven times seven is 49 days. You shall begin to count seven sevens, seven weeks, from the time that you begin to put the sickle to the standing grain. Then you shall celebrate the feast of the sevens, the feast of weeks, feast of the harvest, to the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, whatever you wish to give, in thankfulness for the the, the crops, for, for in thankfulness for the spring harvest. By the way, we were talking last hour about thankfulness and gratitude. This is a gratitude festival. This is to remember what God had done for them. He got them through the winter. Now there's a spring harvest. And you are to be thankful for that spring harvest. A free will offering freely from your own hand. Which you shall give just as the Lord your God blesses you. Please notice that. Now by the way, what does that mean? Just as the Lord God your God blesses you? <coughs> that means as you contemplate what He has done for you. Now look up here a second. I don't, want to, I don't want to make this too... Uh, I don't want to overwork this, but let, let's put it this way. Um, you're kind of grateful, you know, and we, we all you know, we say prayer, meal, and so forth. All right, Lord, thank You for the food. And so our response is so-so. But what if we start looking at what God has done to us, done for us, just as He has really blessed us? Just as He's really blessed us. And guess what? That offering is going to be bigger because we want it to be. Because we're so grateful. We're so thankful. And so the more you and I can figure out and understand what indeed He has done for us, guess what? Then there's going to be a response. There should be. There should be a response. Because we realize how He has blessed us. Well, guess what, folks? I don't think we can, I don't think we can make it. I, I, if you and I try to start counting up and really, really, really count our blessings, our homes and our property and our bank accounts and our cars, there are people without cars. There are people who are starving that in the next 10 minutes, hundreds of children will die of starvation around the world. We've got so much. We're so blessed. Just as the Lord has blessed you. Just as the Lord has blessed you. So guess what? 
we're probably going to give little if we can't if we don't calculate how he has really blessed us. Eh, okay. We'll give little. Oh, I see what he's really done for us, so I'll give a little more. Or will it really dawn on us what we have? And why should he bless us? Why should he be so kind to us? Why should he be so good to us? When much of the world goes to sleep hungry at night, what should that do to us? What should that cause us to do? Free, freely, freely. No, There's no percentage. You're to give a 10% or 20%. It's just from your hand uh, as, as you see how the Lord has blessed you. By the way, and uh, don't, don't, uh, don't get angry at me on this. This is a, a statistic. A statistic. <clears throat> People who are of, a, are of a liberal political persuasion give half of what people who are of a conservative persuasion give in charity. People, this is a fact, this is, this is statistics. People who are hard-driving liberals in their, in their policies, their politics, and their persuasions give only half of what people who are conservative give. And people who are conservative more than likely are Christians. Not, not always, of course. And so the Christians are more, more grateful. The liberal is not. Because the liberal, remember, the, the liberal is driving from the fact that, well, there is no God. Or if there is a God, He's just up there and it doesn't have anything to do with what we do. We're, we're the masters of our own ship. It's what we do. It's what we cause. And not 100%. The person who's conservative and more conservative are Christians or more Christians are conservative. They're more thankful and they give more in charity than the liberal. Is that not a statement about, about politics? Is that not a statement about intention and how people see things? How people see things? The person who sees that their blessings come from God, verse, verse 10, they will freely give more because they understand that they didn't generate their blessings. God generates their blessings. Look at verse 11. Now you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male and female servants and the Levite who's in your town and the stranger and the orphan and the widow who's in your midst and the place where the Lord... God chooses to establish His name. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You have to remember. And if you remember and realize that it is God who got you out of Egypt, you didn't get yourself out of Egypt by yourself, then you freely give back more to Him because you're more appreciative. What a tremendous, what an awesome feast or festival of, of, of weeks, if you will. All right, look at your sheet. Let's go to the fall feast. There, there are three fall feasts. And all, not all listed here in chapter 16 of Deuteronomy. There is the feast of the blowing of the trumpets. It's a plural, not singular. It's the blowing of the trumpets. It's called the day of the blast of the horns. 
Um, go to Leviticus chapter 23. By the way, it's, it's Deuteronomy 16 and Leviticus 23 that the feasts are outright listed. Both of these chapters, these feasts and some that we've not talked about are, are, are listed. This is called the Feast of the Blowing of the Trumpets. It's the calling for the gathering. Trumpets were used for three reasons. They were to call the troops to, to battle. They were to call people to worship. And they were, they were called to bring in the workers from the harvest, from the fields. The Feast of the Trumpets. The Feast of the Blowing of the Horns. And this is also called Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. <clears throat> this is the religiously year for the Jews, not January. This this uh, is the religious feast for the year, or the the, the uh, excuse me the, the uh, uh, religious beginning the beginning of the religious year for the Jews, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, a day of shouting for joy. It falls somewhere around in, in October, and remember that these feasts each year will can can move a little because they're upon a moon calendar, not a solar calendar, so they can move sometimes up to, to two weeks uh, difference, but generally it's in October. A regathering and repentance of Israel into the kingdom or coming into the kingdom for the kingdom. Uh, it's, or it's a reminder of the kingdom. Now, what's the kingdom? It's the millennial reign of Christ, the 1,000 year reign of Christ that we're waiting to, to take place, waiting to happen. And the Jews were to, to look forward to that. And the Feast of Trumpets was a reminder. Look at Leviticus 23 and start at verse uh, 23. 23 23. We read this. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest. A rest. A reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Some of these feasts were called a holy convocation. Now, what does that mean? It means that everybody who can are together, everybody's together, and it's to be a very, very, very holy festival or feast. Very holy. Not just a, a fun and games festival, but a very, very holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. An offering by fire to the Lord. This is a very, very important feast. Um, look at Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, starting at verse 15. So flip back to the minor prophet Joel. Chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 15. Joel 2, 15. 2.15 reads. In fact, we can read several chapters here. We won't read them all. But Joel 2.15 Blow a trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. The word consecrate, consecrate means to make holy. Make holy your fast. Don't take this lightly. Okay? It's to be a spiritual issue. The word consecrate comes from the word holy or holiness. Make holy a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Get everybody together. 
This is very important, Joel and, and uh, the Old Testament is saying. This is very important. Gather the people. Make holy the congregation. Sanctify or make holy the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Man, everybody's together, even the small children. What an impression this would make on the small children. Hey, we've got to all come together wherever God prescribes or, or where, where the tabernacle is set up or where the temple is. We're going to get everybody together. This is to be a very holy, serious issue. Okay? Assemble the elders. Gather the children. Let the bridegroom come out of his room. If they've been recently married, comes out of the wedding room. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the, the bridal chamber. They stop their wedding. They stop their honeymoon. The bridegroom comes out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Stop the honeymoon. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep before the porch and the altar of the temple. Look at that. They are to be contrite. There's to be a weeping. This is serious stuff. Take your, your walk with me, God is saying, as serious. Now look. We can all play serious. We can have a long, droopy face and pretend to be so pious. God doesn't want us to play games, this, but it's real. You're to think about yourself, to think about your sins. As we were, took the break, uh, Ron came up and said, uh, you know, he, he was talking about, uh, this is not just political. What's happening in our nation is very important. And we, we, have, we are we're responsible, as well as the lost are responsible. We are part of this nation. This is serious business. This is serious. Let the priests weep before the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Look what the priests are to do. They are to intercede for the people. The pastors, if you want to transcribe this into today, the pastors will say, Oh God, wake up our people. Wake up our people. Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach. Don't make them a byword among the nations. Why should they, among the people, say, among the peoples of the earth, say, where's their God? Does the world look at America and say, America is a Christian nation? Of course not. You know, you know the thing that, that comes to people, uh, the, the world, when they think of America, the first thing that hits them? It's Hollywood. They know more about America from Hollywood than anything else. Oh, that's America, Hollywood. That's what America's like. They don't see America as a Christian nation. Look at this verse. Why should the nation say, where's their God? Where's their God? We don't see their God. Verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous for His land and will have pity on His people. And the Lord will answer and say to His people, Behold, I'm going to send you grain and new wine and oil. I'm going to bless you. And you'll be sanctified in full with them. That is, if you are contrite. If the priests pray for you. If there is a revival. All those things would be, uh, would be, would be listed as you, as, you, as you go through this. And you can flip right on through. Come on down to... Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Trying to find another passage they would talk about the, the blowing of the trumpet. There's three or four here in this section all the way to the end. I can't spot another one, but I had some more in mind. Um, 
da 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 da. He would spot another one that says blow the trumpet because there's several in this, in this section. I uh, can't find any right now. But the point is to blow the trumpet calls the people to wake up. And by the way, here in the book of Job, the blowing of the trumpet is to cause the people to come and to be serious. And then, what else happens? Look at chapter 3 and verse, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here's where this is going. The blowing of the trumpet. Getting ready for the kingdom. For behold, in those days at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them, the nations there, on behalf of my people and my inheritance Israel, whom the nations have, who have been scattered, that is, they have scattered among the nations. And they have divided up my land. God's land has been mistreated. But God's going to restore His land. He's going to deal again with the Jewish people. The kingdom will come. Blow the trumpet. Cause the people to wake up. The kingdom will be coming. The kingdom someday will be coming. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grow dark. The stars will lose their brightness. Christ, by the way, quotes this in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. The Lord roars. He, he, he roars like a lion from Zion. He utters His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth tremble. The Lord is a refuge for His people. Now this is, this is millennial. This is kingdom, folks. Where's the blowing of the trumpet going? It's going ultimately to bring in the kingdom. Look at this passage. The Lord is a refuge for His people, a stronghold of the sons of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. You'll know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. So Jerusalem will be holy when? When the kingdom comes. When the kingdom arrives, the 1,000 year reign of Christ, and strangers will pass through it no more. Strangers will pass through it no more. God is going to blow the trumpet. He's going to bless the Jewish people. Take your Bibles and go to Matthew 24. Let's go to that passage for a second. Matthew 24. And, da, 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 da. and spot the passage. Spot the passage. I was not going to go here, but now I'm going here. Um You want to find the blowing of the trumpet? Oh, here we go, here we go. Look at verse 29, Matthew 24, 29. 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the seven-year tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the meteors, the meteorites will fall from the sky, the power of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. The elect here is probably not the Gentiles, it's the Jews. This is a reference to the Jews to be brought into the kingdom. Into the kingdom. The blowing of the trumpet heralds the kingdom. The coming kingdom of the Jews. The blowing of the trumpet. 
Please notice this. Notice, notice what it says. He comes as the Son of Man. Look at verse 30. The Son of Man. What does that mean? Now look up here a second. The expression Son of Man means the Son comes from Daniel chapter 7 who relates to humanity. It is a passage about the Messiah. And so the gathering is not the rapture. The gathering is to come to the kingdom because the Messiah has come. There has been the tribulation. Look up here at the order. Tribulation, seven year tribulation. Then the blowing of the trumpet, the gathering of the Jews to come to into the land. Those are still still out there, still scattered around the world. And the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, will reign and rule from Jerusalem for 1,000 years. And the blowing of the trumpet is a picture of the calling of Israel for the kingdom. For the kingdom. Alright, look at your sheet. The next day, the next feast, a fall feast, mid-October, mid mid-October, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Day, Yom is day. And Kippur, the day of covering. Kippur, Kippur, you hear the word Kippur or cover, cover in Kippur. Okay, go to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23, back to that passage. And look at verse 26. 23, 26. The day of atonement, Yom Kippur. <clears throat> I was in Israel with the Israeli army during Yom Kippur toward the end of that war, almost killed by the Russians. <laughs> the Russians were advisors to the Syrian gunners and they almost hit my car. I was up on the Golan Heights and they, 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 they beat it in on the, on, the, on the press car I was driving and they chased us for 15 miles, artillery landing on both sides of my cars. The guys in the car were screaming and yelling and I wasn't screaming and yelling. I was driving, going through bomb holes, ditches, <laughs> driving like crazy during the, the war of Yom Kippur. Verse 26, chapter 23 of Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the 10th day of the 7th month, that's about the middle of October, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, it shall be another holy convocation, a holy gathering of the people you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. Please note the humbling of your souls. I've been to you know, been in Israel during Yom Kippur. Was there when the when the war was going on, the battle, the, the war of Yom Kippur, and I was also there uh, in which I went up to the temple at night during Yom Kippur, where the people had gathered because they are to have a holy convocation and they are to pour out their heart to the Lord and humble their souls before the Lord. Now look, look up what technically is Yom Kippur? Day of day of covering. Day of covering was a ceremony or the, or the festival of the day of covering in which God said for another year another year I have covered your sins. I have covered your sins for another year. The next year comes along, I will cover your sins again. You are to bring in offerings. Some poor innocent lamb died. His throat was cut. The blood pumped out. He represents the death of the Lord Jesus. You are to humble your souls. Now, we do not have a Day of Atonement now. We don't. Okay? 
Because Christ does not cover again our sins. He did it one time. It's done. It's finished. There's no more atonement for us. Some of your Bibles, your King James Bibles, and some of the verses say atonement. Wrong. Okay, it should not be. We do not all anymore have a day of covering. For another year, day of covering. Another year, day of covering. Okay? It's over. Christ is finished with our sins. Alright, but here's what the Jews were to do. They were to humble their souls, present an offering by fire to the Lord. Neither shall you do any work on this same day. It's the day of covering. Yom Kippur. To make covering on your behalf before the Lord your God. What happened on Yom Kippur in 1973? The Israelis, look up there, they turned off all the television, they turned off all the radio, no work. Radio was cut off, television was cut off, and the Arabs, the Egyptians knew it. This was bigger than Pearl Harbor. This was bigger than Pearl Harbor. They knew that all communications would be cut off. No radio, no television, the Jews were not, no, no newspapers. Complete silence, complete humbling of, the, of their souls. And lo and behold, some, some Israeli soldiers looked out of their bunkers on, on, on the Red Sea, and here came the Egyptians in, uh, in rubber boats. And they began screaming and hollering, Goodbye, Mother, we love you, Mother. And they were run over by the Egyptian tanks. The Egyptians knew that all communications would be cut off. And it was blood guts for the Jews to get it back together. And by the way, they were being pushed and pushed and almost lost that war. And um, uh, Chuck Colson, who was Nixon's hatchet man, uh, told me personally, he said it was touch and go. We were about to lose that war. We begged Nixon to do something and finally he got he got to big uh, C-34, uh, transport planes and begin to bring tanks and weapons and, and uh, ammunition. And they were turning, the planes were landing every 15 minutes in Tel Aviv, turning right back around, coming back to the United States and save the Jews. And they began to push and push and uh, drove the Egyptians all the way across the Suez Canal and were uh, uh, moving along the Suez Canal they did not stop their tanks, and they were destroying the missile batteries, the, 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 the SAM missile batteries, and didn't even stop their, their tanks. They really kept moving and would fire and destroy this missile battery, kept moving, fire, destroy this one. And Chuck Colson said, this was touch and go. This was touch and go. And I interviewed Ari Sharon. He was called the David of the Yom Kippur War. Hal Lindsey and I went over toward the end of the war and interviewed uh, Ari Sharon. And he was the general who defied his own commanders and said, we're going into Egypt. We're going to go to Tel Aviv. Or, me, we're going to go to Cairo. We're going to Cairo. And uh, they got the tanks across the Suez Canal, began to move along the Suez Canal, and the, and the Egyptians said, we're bringing the Russians in. And Chuck Colson said, we almost went to World War III. And finally, we, we, we convinced the Jews to stop because they were pushing to Cairo and they were they were pushing on to Lebanon, up to Syria, up to Syria, Damascus, and Syria, Syria, and it was touch and go. And God spared the Jews on Day of Atonement. They will never again turn off all their radios. They will never again turn off all their communication. It says you are to humble your souls. No work, verse 28, on that day. 
Now notice what it says. A covering on your behalf before the Lord your God. How can God deal with us? How can God give you blessing? Everyone sitting in this room this morning. How could He bless you? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because you're so great. Not because we deserve a blessing. But because of Christ. And the Day of Atonement represented to the Jews in prophecy. The death of an animal was represented the death of the Messiah. And it's to be the most serious day on the Jewish calendar. You're to humble your souls. You are to make a covering before the Lord for yourself. Verse 29, If there's any person who will not humble himself on that day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on this day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. It is to be a Shabbat, a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls on the ninth of Av, the ninth of Av, the month of Av, ninth of Av, at evening, from evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Why is this one of the most serious days? Why? Because of, of this day, it represents the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the slaying of the animal, the covering of their sins. It represents the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, dying for their sins more than any other of the feasts. This is the ultimate of the Jewish festivals. This is it. Now they don't know. There's no more Yom Kippur. Christ died once for your sins. He does not have to cover your sins for another year, and for another year, and for another year. It's a done deal. He has finished His work concerning in regard to your sins. Alright. The last one we're going to look at is tabernacles. And the word tabernacles, the old English word for tent, or for a booth. Put up a lean-to. The tabernacle. Look at Leviticus chapter 23 and start at verse 39. Leviticus 23 and 29. 23, 23 starting at verse 29. We read this. Uh, we started there, excuse me. Uh, pardon me, 26. No, excuse me, hello. 23, 39. 39. Started 23, 39. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord. This is a fall feast for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as the feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute, therefore, uh, throughout, that is, your generations. You shall celebrate it on the seventh month. You shall live in these booths, or lean-tos, that you make with tree, tree boughs for seven days. All the native-born Israel shall live in these little forts, <laughs> these little lean-tos. Now, if you've ever been to Israel during the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, uh, you go to the restaurant, eat at the restaurant, over the corner of the restaurant, they have a little fort. 
And uh, some of you guys made uh, Christmas tree forts uh, when you were small and you were younger. Take all the Christmas trees, that's what this was, to make a little fort, okay? It's to make a little place of rest. So when they came out of Egypt, God says, I want you to sit down and rest. I want you to take it easy. You come out of Egypt, and I want you to rest. I want you to remember that I gave you a rest from your turmoil in Egypt. I want you to take tree limbs and tree boughs and make little forts, and I want you to just sit down and have a rest because of what you have gone through. And you are to celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. By the way, almost all of these say, look at verse 41, a feast to the Lord. The feast to the Lord. Uh, into verse 40, you shall rejoice before the Lord. Before the Lord. Um, verse 43, so that your generations may know that I and the sons of Israel live in booths, lean-tos, little forts. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. Please notice that. Look at verse four, four verse forty-four. He wanted them to. He wanted this to be declared to them, the sons of Israel, the appointed times. What's that referring to? That's referring to all of these feasts in Leviticus chapter twenty-three. Now look up here. What's that saying? What's that saying? God was telling to, telling the Jews. I have all these feasts that are aimed at me, your God. They have different components to them. They have different days. They are my appointed times to remind you. Now listen. To remind you of what I've done for you. Now look. You can take these feasts and you can just trash them. Eh. And you can forget what God has done for you. You know one of the worst things that can happen to this church? We can start forgetting. We can start forgetting. We can become callous to what God has done for us. We can... We can take the ideas behind these, these festivals. And we're not Jews, and these are Jewish festivals. But God calls them the appointed times. And please look at verse 44. Declare these to the sons of Israel, to all the Jews and to your children. Declare the appointed times. Don't miss what these feasts are about. Now look. Watch my hand. We can go to the New Testament and we can look at all the things that God's done for us. We can look at His kindness and saving us. We can look at the eternal life that He's given us. Eternal, forever life. We can look at the, the comfort that we can have in our souls from the Holy Spirit. From the Holy Spirit. We can look at the fact that we have the revelation. We have the revelation from the God of the universe. The Bible in front of us. Now look, we can take it and just... We can grow callous. And we can forget the things, the times, the things, the issues that God has done for us. 
And I believe that you and I have to work real hard to say, God, what have we done or not done to be thankful for America? What have we done? What is our role? And I can tell you that I have went gone for years without really being grateful, without really being thankful, without really remembering. In the last few months, I've done a lot of study and working on some books, and I go back to history. And I say, I can't believe what God did for us. I can't believe how He started this nation. I can't believe how He began this nation. He didn't begin any other nation like that except the Jews. I, you know, I, I really can't. Maybe, maybe I would throw in England a little here in this in this scenario. Maybe, but I go for what He did for Israel, and I have to take a big leap. What He did for America, the founding of America, the people who came here, what drove them to come here, why did they come here? Do you realize that over half of them, the first winter, died because they did not did not have to survive in the winter time? But they came here for spiritual reasons. Spiritual reasons and they died. They gave up their life. They weren't perfect people. We don't want to say that. But they were driven to say we dedicate this nation and our coming here and these colonies and we're thankful to God. To God. To God. I want you, as we bow in prayer and close this morning, to really say, oh God, what does all this mean? What's happening to our nation? What we've read this morning, what does it mean to me? And what must I do? Let's just not say, let's just not make it something that's uh, uh, thought-provoking, but something about what could we, should we do? How should I act? Because I'm grateful. Because I'm grateful. How should I act? I think that all these festivals we've looked at in, here in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you could probably put over all of them a blanket statement that they, they are meant to be thankful to God. To Him. They're, they're festivals and feasts that are supposed to go back to Him. Show our gratitude back to Him. Back to God. Let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we are so blessed. And as we keep saying that, that can, just saying it can become a trifle to us. Just, just a ritual. We can't let that be. It cannot be just a ritual. It must be a reality. Lord, we have many kids and grandkids who don't see what we see. Are not hearing the things that we're hearing this morning from these verses. Lord, help us relate to our families and to share with them whether they want to receive it or not. Lord, open our eyes and open our mouth. In Jesus' name we pray.